My name is Ryan Phelps. I do serve here as pastor and now drummer. Whoop, whoop. Though the new people like you, I'm standing up here, they're probably like, they let the drummer preach. (laughs) This is not a good sign. (laughs) Uh, We have been in the gospel of Mark for the last couple of months. And we continue that today. Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. Famous story. I will read the text. If you do have a Bible, get it out. We want people to be in the Word as uh, the preaching is happening. Uh, The job of a preacher, just so you know, is to, they call it expository preaching, which just in a, um, in a simple way is to say to we, we are exposing the text for what it is. We're trying to explain it, expose it so that you can see it, understand it, be transformed by it. Hear the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, For he had been often bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down into the steep bank, into the sea, and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Holy and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with us now. That you would be with us in spirit and in truth. Lord, we are, of course, emotional beings, psychological beings. We feel We respond. But we are also intellectual beings. We are able to understand, ascertain, listen. And so your Holy Spirit must come now to us to reveal what you have for us. And I say that for those who believe this morning in Jesus and those who do not. 
because you must reveal yourself. You must do the work. Apart from your help, we will just see gibberish on this page. But with you, we will see the transforming power of the gospel. And so would you help us now, especially as we look into this dark subject of evil. We know that you are light and that you are good and that you are with us. We ask this, therefore, in your name. Amen. Water is the most necessary element for survival on planet Earth. And at the same time, one of the most destructive, if not the most destructive things on planet Earth. Now, we don't usually see water that way today. Water is calming. It is beautiful. It is satisfying. We take cruises all over the world. We sit at the ocean's shores for hours. We even dive into the depths of the sea to see untold wonders. But we also know, if we think about it, that water is deadly and destructive. As we saw last week, the fishermen in the sea with Jesus, the sea can have unbelievably powerful storms. Floods and tsunamis have taken more lives than any other natural disaster. Water, if you think about it, is the breeding ground for mosquitoes that carry deadly viruses worldwide. On the one hand, we will die without water, but it could also easily just kill us. Now, we don't think, I don't think, balance this very well. We don't see water in this usually balanced way, but the ancient Hebrews did. They did. They knew how desperately they needed water, but they also viewed the sea as a representation of malevolence, of evil. That's how they saw it. In the story of creation, the world is depicted as a murky, chaotic disorder before God initiates the process of creation by asserting his authority over it. In the account of Noah's flood, the waters obliterate all living creatures, human and animal alike, except those God saved by his intervention. The psalmist even draws upon the symbolism of the flood of waters, of the sea, to depict his own precarious circumstances. Earth's waters, yes, are necessary for life. But they also represent what we, especially in the West, have a hard time understanding and believing. There is evil in the world. Evil. Forces seen and unseen, working against goodness. So the men in this boat had just experienced its most violent and forceful storm. And Jesus defeats it simply by the words that he speaks. But you can imagine how upset they would have been. They almost died, and then they see this guy who they kind of thought they were beginning to know. Just calm the waters with his voice. They do not know him. He is something unlike anyone, anything else. And you can imagine them saying to themselves, looking at themselves, what have we gotten ourselves into? And yet they do not know how far Jesus will take them. Because now he is going to show them a new evil. An evil that is found not just outside of us, but inside of us. And we must deal with it. First point this morning, the darkness of evil, the darkness of evil. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Mark 5, 1. 
They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. So again, the disciples are in this boat. They're in the Sea of Galilee, and they had just encountered this intense storm. But as they make landfall in this new region, they encounter a different kind of a storm, tied up in an individual, a, a single human being. Mark 5, 2 says, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean Spirit. Now you have to see this scene in your mind. You have to go there. It is nightfall. It's dark. This is a region that these men would not have traveled to very often, if at all. And they've landed at the place of the dead, a place of tombs. And then this man, if you can even call him that, comes rushing towards them, screaming, cut up, bruised, beaten. Mark uses the word immediately to signal that all of this happened suddenly. It would have taken them by surprise. And so just think about it. It's night in the place of the dead and a crazy savage man is running at them. Can you imagine the fear and the terror they must have felt? I think it is obvious that we are meant to feel their fear. There is something wrong with this situation and man. But it's even worse than they know, than we know, because this is not just a crazy person, but an unclean one. That doesn't mean that he hadn't showered recently. In the scriptures, it means that he was possessed. Possessed. Mark 5.3. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So this man is tortured, violent, impossibly strong. What was wrong with him? Demons had possessed him. Demons had possessed him. Evil was living inside him. So when was the last time you went to a dinner party and you said, hey, <laughs> what do you think about evil? What do you think about demons? Do you think that they exist? That is not a good icebreaker. Let me just give you some wisdom there. That's all you pull from this sermon? Great. Don't start with that. But we are in church. We have come to walk with Jesus. And we have to ask this question very, at the very first. Do we believe that evil is real? Listen, many do not. Many do not believe that evil is real. The bad things that happen in this world are the byproduct of chaos and evolution. Now, on the one hand, I would say to you that if you have any sort of feeling of the divine, if you believe that there's anything out there or up there, that is beyond us, that is supernatural, then you have to make room for the possibility that not just good supernatural beings exist, but that also evil supernatural beings exist. But I would also say this. It is hard to make sense of our world without acknowledging the reality of evil. For example, the reactions, the, the visceral feelings that we have to bad things are explained by the presence of evil and demonic forces. It is impossible for me, at least, to look into a gulag or ho the Holocaust, to look at the abuse of a child, 
and not feel that there is more than human sinfulness at work. The level of some evil, the nature of some wickedness, it is so bad that we have to attribute it to something that is beyond even the worst of human nature. It is something evil, demonic. We feel the burden. We sense the oppression. I'll never forget visiting New Orleans, New Orleans, Louisiana for the first time. We lived down there and we drove over. It was about four hours away from our house and we were so excited to go for the first time. We'd heard so much about it. And it is really a fantastic place. Fantastic music, great food, lovely people. But I was also not prepared for the other side of New Orleans. It is an unseemly place. They would even say that. It is where sin is reveled in and flaunted. Where fortune tellers and psychics are stationed at every corner. And I remember feeling this deep, unsettled feeling. It was as though the whole city, the center of the city, had been co-opted, taken by evil. Second, many of the psychological problems we face, many of the psychological problems we face, and especially their complexity and increasing regularity, are explained in part by demonic forces. We know that mental issues, mental health issues, have many causes. They are very near widespread. The scriptures even teach this. But what many know and teach today is that to heal the mind, you must also heal the spirit. Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, is not a Christian organization, and yet one of the primary steps to overcoming addiction is to connect with the divine. So they go through a series of steps to find wholeness and health and healing. Step number two reads this, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Why do we need the power of the divine? Because in part, we are opposed by the powers of darkness and evil. The scriptures teach us that evil spirits, they accuse us and tempt us and stir up our fears. They are exasperating our psychological issues all of the time. Evil explains the complexity and regularity of psychological issues. Third, the systematic social evil we see throughout the world is explained by evil and demonic forces. Hear that again. The systematic social evil we see throughout the world is explained by evil and demonic forces. Sim Keller, an author and pastor, says this. Evil, unjust social systems can reign in a culture and have enormously evil and devastating effects. Yet no single individual member of the oppressive system seems to be all that bad. Think of the many good people who got caught up in apartheid in South Africa. Or the Christians who defended slavery during the Civil War. Or the good German men and women who condoned or at least turned a blind eye to concentration camps. Yes, sin accounts for a lot of this. But not all of it. The scriptures teach that demonic forces can often influence and control governments and institutions. They are an unseen power that can take a peaceful nation and in just a few short years turn it into an evil, despotic, torturous regime. Now, what is my point? What is my point in saying all of that? Evil exists. And it exists not as just this moral category, but as something real, affecting, 
It is a force that is worldwide. That is why Jesus has taken them there, to show them what they are facing. They're not actually facing Rome or the unjust Jewish leaders or even hunger. They are facing forces not seen but unseen. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, we must not sleep. We must not close our eyes. We must not falter or fail. We must be aware of the evil that is in this world and understand that it must be dealt with. Second point this morning, the depth of evil, the depth of evil. Mark 5, 2. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man. A man. This is Mark saying that this is not a storm. This is not an animal. This is a human with a soul who probably at one point in his life had a family. We know he had a mother. He brings us to this man to show us that evil does not just exist out there, but it exists in here, in our hearts. Matthew 7 says this, Jesus says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, give good gifts Good, sorry, give good things to those who ask him. You who are evil. He just assumes it. Can you imagine sitting there listening to him say that to us? Wait, hang on there. I'm not evil. You who are evil. Matthew 15, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Friends, humans are not as bad as they could be. Of course not. There's a lot of good people and a lot of actually people who are better than me. But we are bad. We are bad. We have evil inside of us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote famously of his time in the Russian gulags. The gulags were a prison so awful and hideous that even his descriptions of it defy belief. But Solzhenitsyn could not bring himself to think that he was any different than his captors. This is amazing to me. He says, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The man in our account is a picture of how deep the evil goes and how it affects us. Think about him. He is both powerful, but he is also tortured. First, he is powerful. This evil inside him has made him inhumanly strong. No matter what these townspeople do, they cannot bind him. They cannot stop him. They just have to push him to a different part of, the, of their countryside. They cannot bind him with any chains. He breaks them every time. Friends, that is how evil feels. Evil made him very powerful. It makes us very powerful. It tempts us because it often brings us so much strength. It feels good. 
Lying can make us feel very powerful. Sexual liberation makes us feel very powerful. Taking illicit drugs, drinking too much, it makes us feel powerful. But then we notice the man. Despite his strength, what is he? He is tortured. He's alone. He cries out night and day. He lives with the dead. He cuts himself. He destroys his body. The evil inside him has made him strong on the outside, but incredibly and sadly weak on the inside. That is the problem with evil. Its power leaves you worse, leaves you worse off than when you started. It always leaves you feeling tortured and weak. As one author put it, it is a Faustian bargain. Evil brings you power and pleasure, yet also bondage and despair. But once you make this bargain, and, one, and the more and more you give into this bargain, understand that the more evil grows. The text reads that this man could not be bound any longer. In other words, evil cannot be managed. We know that there has been a progression in this man. He has gone from just evil to an evil that they cannot control, that they cannot subdue. Demonic forces, friends, cannot be checked. If you allow them access to your heart, you will be co-opted and your joy will be stolen. Friends, do you have evil in your lives? Are there big things or even very small things that you look at or think about or take part in that feel good but always leave you feeling weak and sad? A very good friend of mine a couple of years ago, he's in my church, he seemed to be very happy. Everything was going well for him. Even his wife said that he was unusually happy. And then one day we were at the church doing some things middle of the week and my wife got a phone call and I see her go out to the parking lot, tears down her face, walking around and we got the news that he had been cheating on his wife for months. He'd given in to evil. And at first it made him powerful and happy. We saw it. But then everything in his life, of course, fell apart. In the months after, I would see him and he just looked terrible, tortured, sad, angry. But his act, his evil act, did not just affect him. It affected us all, his family, his church, and of course, mainly his wife. Now, they are still married, thanks be to God, and I believe mostly happy. But the wounds will never totally heal. The evil that he allowed to fester has left them walking with a serious limp. Evil goes deep. And the ways that we are tempted by evil are many. The effects of it are widespread. And so we must stand against it. We must stand against the principalities and powers. We must defeat evil. But how? How do you do that? Last point, the destruction of evil. The destruction of evil. How do we do what is good and right? How do we be the people that we want to be? And friends, it's all in our response to Jesus. It's all in our response to Jesus. Look at the legion demons inside the man and how they respond to Jesus first. Mark 5, 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not 
torment me. That is fascinating to me. These demons know who Jesus is. They have the right facts about him, don't they? This led James to say this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. They know who Jesus is. But the difference is they want nothing to do with him. What do they say? Send us to the pigs. We would rather be with the pigs than with you. Consider the herdsmen. The herdsmen are the people who came from the city. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it to, into the city and into the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. The one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, if you remember from last week, when the storm overtook them, they were afraid. They were fearful that they were going to die. And then Jesus stands up, rebukes the storm, and instantaneously there is calm. And their response to this is that they were now terrified. They were afraid and they became terrified. Now, this story is the same. It's the same. The people were more afraid of Jesus than the demon-possessed man. They were so afraid that they told him to leave. In other words, they actually know who he is. He is not just a powerful person politically, in strength, with just a few words. He had removed a thousand demons attached to this man's soul, and they see this power, and they feel it, and they want nothing to do with it. Because it is threatening. His power, they know, will be demanding, unpredictable. That is what happens when you get close to Jesus. You get close to his power and you must relinquish control. They want to remain Lord of their lives. And so they reject Jesus and choose evil. But now finally see this man, the demon-possessed man, after Jesus healed him. How does he respond to Jesus? Verse 18, as he was getting inside the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. The storm in this man had been completely calmed. Completely calmed. I love how this is phrased. The man who was possessed by evil now wants to be with Jesus. The man that hated Jesus now loved him. This man had experienced the cleansing, healing, and powerful love of Christ. And when you experience this healing, this power, this love, it converts you. You stop living for yourself and you start living for him. Mark 5, 19. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Hear that again. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. But when the man goes out and does it, he does not use the word Lord, does he? Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is dramatically different. Rather than run from Jesus like the herdsmen and the demons did, he runs toward him. Rather than run away, he centers his life on him. He can't be with him? Okay, that's fine. I'm still going to tell everyone about him. Why does he center his life on him? The answer to this is the basis of the Christian life. First, this man runs to Jesus because he knows that Jesus loves him. Do you know how he knows? 
Because this guy was as broken and evil as, as it gets. And Jesus came to him anyway. You know the phrase, a face only a mother could love? <laughs> I love that phrase. Here is a man only Jesus could love. And he does it. He goes to this man on purpose. For Jesus, there is nothing so awful, so miserable, so tortured that he will reject you. In fact, this will often draw him closer to you. No matter how messed up we are, how enslaved we are, Jesus says, I can liberate you and I want to. And so we run to Jesus because he loves us. This man also runs to Jesus because he had eradicated the evil inside of him. It is vital to understand that what we are seeing needs to happen to all people to be saved. We must have the evil eradicated from our lives. We must be forgiven, healed, cleansed. But Jesus would not be able to do this simply by speaking words. We know this. To save us once and for all from evil, from the clutches of our sin, from the clutches of the world, from the clutches of the devil himself. Jesus would have to be taken down by it and by him. What we see at the end of Mark is that to free us, to defeat evil, Jesus would have to switch places with this man who had been possessed. This man is now sitting peaceful, fully clothed. But at the end of Mark, Jesus would have his clothing stripped from him. This man is free now with no chains, no restraints. But at the end of Mark, Jesus would be nailed to a cross. This, no, this man is no longer amongst the tomb. He's back in the city with the people. But at the end of Mark, Jesus would die and he would be put into the tomb. And it was for us. It was for us. For us to see him as the Lord. He died to evil so that we could be freed from it. And, now, and know that he who has died will not let us fall. He who has died will cover us and protect us and lead us away from evil all of our days. At the end of this passage, this man begins to evangelize, but he does it winsomely, without confrontation, with respect, and he does it simply by talking about himself. And he says, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me, what he has received so he wants others to have. And so Jesus' command to us, friends, is simple. Go and tell your friends and family and coworkers and anyone who would hear Look at what Jesus has done. That is something that we can all do. We don't all have to preach the gospel from a soapbox. We don't have to be the greatest evangelist. All we must do is simply say, see how the Lord has changed me. How he has saved us. John Newton, the former slave ship captain, wrote this in a hymn. In evil long I took delight unawed by shame or fear till a new object met my sight and stopped my wild career. Oh, the lamb, the bleeding lamb, the lamb on Calvary, the lamb that was slain and liveth again to intercede for me. Let's pray. Just take a few moments to speak to the Lord, to respond to him and his life in your heart.
Lord, I pray that these words from your text, this account of you and this demon-possessed man are as smelling salts to us. And it's very easy to go about our lives and act as though there is nothing, nothing more than what we see and deal with. Our lives can be very hard, stressful, anxiety-producing, sad. And yet we must remember what is really going on in this world. That you are fighting our battles. That you are fighting and winning the war. That though evil exists, you will someday come to conquer it fully and finally. And so we ask in the meantime that you would give us strength. That of course we would have strength to fight the big temptations towards evil. But Lord, also the small ones. The ones that we see as nothing, as throwaway. Lord, I believe it's entirely possible this demon-possessed man, that is simply how he started his life, towards being this thing in the tombs, a small sin here or there, being co-opted by evil in the tiniest ways. But Lord, we will do this not on our own, but by your strength and your power. So give us a vision again of your love for us. Through Christ, amen.